You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast, a melding pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Shauna. I help connect tech companies with top tech talent. And today I'm your host. Welcome back to another Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by three senior leaders within the Australian technology industry, where we're going to discuss the topic of creating high performance within globally distributed teams. Um, And we're going to cover areas such as productivity, trust, asynchronous communication, servant leadership, and hiring the right people for these types of teams. Um, So I'm really excited to run through this today. I think this is a topic that a lot of teams in tech um, would love to get coverage on. So um, before we jump into the subtopics, um, I think it's a great idea if we could introduce our panelists. Uh, And I'm looking at Indranil. Do you want to introduce yourself and kick things off? Sure, Shana. Uh, Hi, this is Indranil. Um, I'm Director of Engineering at Nintex, overall like 15 years of experience. Um, I'm really passionate about creating high performance and self-organizing teams. I started as a developer and then organically moved more towards leadership and I'm liking it. So yeah, that's me. Um, who's next? Amazing. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm looking at Ray. Tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. Um, hi, guys. My name's Ray. I'm Head of Engineering of GoPath by uh, Software One. Um, so GoPass by Software One is a kind of a global company focusing on building different products for software and cloud marketplace and uh, uh, cloud um, FinOps functionality. So uh, during the last year, we've been uh, working with global teams um, across Europe and Australia. I'm passionate about building scalable products and scalable team. Incredible stuff. Thank you so much, Ray. And last but absolutely not least, hey, tell us about yourself. Hello guys, uh, my name is Hai, I work at uh, Prospector Software and uh, we are a master data management uh, platform uh, provided to uh, right across uh, all sorts of different industries Um, and I'm particularly passionate about building things, uh, anything from software to a cabinet, so uh, yeah, I just like making things. Amazing. Um, thank you so much, Hi. Um, all right, so but I suppose the first subtopic today was brought by, well, actually, uh, pretty much brought by everybody, um, which was around the topic of engagement. Um, and in journal, you were the first one that sort of wanted to talk about psychological safety. So creating a psychological safety within distributed, globally distributed teams. Um, it's definitely a challenge, I'm sure. So tell us a bit about um, your experience with that adrenaline and then we'll put it to the to the table. Sure, sure. Just to give a bit of context, Nintex has uh, Nintex is an um, uh, workflow automation and process intelligence company and we have dev centers over almost every time zone. I think there are a couple of time zones which are missed and, and uh, uh, due to acquisitions and stuff we have got offices like almost everywhere so it, it's been it, it the, the creating that cohesive culture within different teams is always challenging um, now before we talk about anything around engagement or productivity or the social aspects or building high performance teams i think whether it's remote or not i think we should all agree that if there is no psychological safety within the teams, you'll not be having a successful high-performing team. No matter what methodology you choose, no matter how many processes you add, if the if the teams are not, if the people are not psychologically feeling safe, uh, it just won't work. So, Absolutely. again, 
yeah again in 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 um uh, in in person environments there are different uh, tactics and different ways you can you can actually see people and you can see their facial expressions and you can see yeah. their, how they are doing it's way more challenging in a remote environment uh, uh, to see actually if somebody is actually psychologically feeling safe right um yeah. i don't have any techniques or any uh, uh, um you know silver bullet as such but one thing which i found really helpful is is one on ones right so uh, because people tend to uh, again different personalities of course there are extroverted people and there are introverted people but usually most of the people will try to open up if you can build that rapport with your directs they will try to open up in a one on one settings and you'll have to create that safe space within that and spend as much time as possible within those one on ones uh, to make sure that that they can speak up to you and say if there are any challenges or anything and you also as a leader will have to ask sometimes saying that oh what about this and what about that i've noticed these things and noticing uh, anything uh, different or weird in a remote environment is also very difficult as a manager because you're not in a desk setting right so you can't see that yeah. somebody's under stress or holding their forehead and stuff like you can't see those <laughs> so it's 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 challenging um, but it's it's the base of everything we'll probably discuss today because if you don't yeah. build that psychological safety you don't build that common goal where people can talk to each other safely um then nothing else will work absolutely body language is really important isn't it to recognize that um yeah well, what's everyone else thinking well actually it's really interesting you you mentioned that because uh when you're safe Uh, the other thing that people tend to do is they'll take risks right so when you have that safe foundation so to speak uh that is actually a platform cre- for creativity because um when people are creative they tend to be destructive as well as in you know you break things move quickly break things that sort of thing but if they don't have that safe environment to to sort of like oh let me try that it might break something but then i might do something really amazing Uh, and again yeah just to reiterate it is very very important uh, just not in an only interpersonal but also creativity and productivity that they are willing to go out on that limb to uh uh to test something out that hasn't been tried before so yeah the great point um, i never even thought about putting them two together the safety piece with creativity it definitely must have an impact um brilliant stuff what about ray what what's your kind of um experience around creating that psychological safety within your dispute teams yeah i think that's a very important uh, point you guys brought up to the table and i guess that i want to add on top of that is kind of a trust and accountability I might be touched on the points we're going to talk about a bit later. I guess that that trust environment is very important. Um the things we can talk about in one on one but also uh, um some of the things I did with my team in different countries to keep things open and transparent to understand so that they understand the importance of us doing some of the changes. The changes mostly can be positive but sometimes can uh, perceive as negative changes. about this is very important that you are tra- um, you're transparent but also put them into a position uh, to be accountable or so contribute to the solution rather than say okay i don't trust you guys um so we micromanage or do something uh, in the opposite way they don't feel the the mental safety they should have within the team 
and we lost pro、uh, productivity if we do so. So I guess that's one thing I do want to add is trust and accountability, and how you being transparent to the teams that that can encourage、uh, the 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 behaviors you are look out for. Mason, but can I ask you a quick question, right? Um, how do you foster? How do you foster it within your teams? Because one of the things that I sort of have、um, work and been working with the team is、um, they're not so easily forthcoming, especially、uh, a team that is very far away. You know, when you meet face to face, it's quite easy to draw things out of them. You know, like what、uh, Andrew said before, that there's no physical body language for you to sort of see their reaction, and a lot of times. Um, uh, and I'm trying to do this more and more often with my team is getting them to turn on their their videos, right? So,、uh, but you know,、so、I've got a team in India, I've got a team in Vietnam, and they tend not to like to do that. And、mm-hmm. um, uh, you know,、uh, drawing that out of them has been a bit of a challenge.、Uh, what are your thoughts on that? How how do we do that? Um, so there there are two things I think I did contribute to help. Uh, to foster that environment is kind of、uh, the, the right people is a starting point. So we start off uh, doing a uh, we got a opportunity within GoPass to build a, a new platform based on existing one. We gather the existing team who are interested in the topic to start with. So we know that people are interested in doing such kind of product or building the new product together.、Um, so that's kind of the first thing. First, you got to have the right. Uh, right people into the team,、uh, but also secondly, contributing to that. Obviously, we do all the workshops or stuff like that, so people are aligned or understand what we are trying to build in terms of product roadmap, so on and so forth. But also, a second point I want to bring to the table is to say. Uh, you got to have、uh, the right people, especially good leader,、uh, sits inside each different team, so that they can help you to force that culture. So、uh, I guess we mentioned about a bit of one-on-one as well, which is an important point that you definitely want to.、Um, Keep regular touch with all the leaders in different team to ensure that you you encourage the transparency to understand what problems they are facing. For example, one of the one problem you mentioned there is the people not showing up in video. So that can be okay. But also, there's a different side of a coin to say let's encourage some social activity within team, so people open up more and trust each other more. So you you might it might take a few tries to see what's the best way for your scenario or situation. I definitely won't say that. And、um, I just start off saying everyone is on the same page, doing the right thing to start with. But definitely using a different approach. And、um, in my experience, as、um, what I got with my team, that definitely helped to build that trust, and people start to do more and thinking about more to say, oh, how can improve the communication across different team? Should we organize more social activity?、Uh, that also relies on the leaders in the team as well. Amazing. So I think what what you've, yeah, it's a great point, Ray. I think what you're saying there is definitely recognizing the right people. But what you've also done there is also giving、um, people within the team opportunities to step up and jump onto this new project,、um, and then that straight away kind of creates that、uh, you know that transparency, but also that opportunity.、Um, and then as you build that team and you create these leaders, you're, you're saying the leaders kind of bring that environment where you know. You know, kind of showing up on a video is kind of being proactive, and they're the types of people that you know, yeah, you know, kind of look like they're putting their hand up and getting the opportunities, as opposed to kind of hiding in the background and not having your camera on. It's 
yeah so it's kind of starting from the very beginning that that's the expectation I'd say it's harder yeah hi when you've when you've already got a team that is our that starts with you know no cameras on and lack of that so yeah that's a really good point so the foundations is this as opposed to what high is sort of dealing with at the moment interesting okay really really great insights um adrenal have you any um anything you can add to that to kind of give high any ideas of how to get that yeah i think uh, at nintex we do this uh, regular engagement surveys uh which is like weekly like weekly you get five questions yeah. you can answer anonymously that has helped us a lot to see the trend because in my previous companies most of the surveys were either yearly or and once in six months and stuff like that right Uh, yeah those that data can be very skewed based on the time of the year based on their mood but once you do that regularly weekly you remove a lot of outliers from let's say an yearly survey so mm-hmm. um and and as managers uh, what and the engineering managers also do that is discuss the results with the teams in one on one settings or in team settings depending on the team culture some teams are super cool chill extroverted they can talk to each other very openly within a team setting some teams are not but discussing those results within uh, uh, the team with the team within one on one settings i think that's fairly important i think they brought very interesting point around being transparent one thing which i personally found really uh, useful in building the psychological safety is being transparent also as a leader being vulnerable i think that's something as leaders we uh, sometimes tend to forget that we are also human yeah. beings and we can be vulnerable and that has actually worked for me a lot when when i become vulnerable i make mistakes and i admit that and go on with that and how i deal failures that yeah. actually helps the team members to open up oh this guy is actually a human being right uh, <laughs> uh, in, in remote settings it it yeah it might be a bit difficult to get that human connection right because yeah you, uh, you're not in an office setting you're not talking to each other no water cooler conversations and those things right so being vulnerable being very open about your mistakes as a leader i think that helps to build that psychological safety brilliant really really great and that's a really common trend of any of the great leaders I've worked with is that showing that you're vulnerable um, and being able to make mistakes and say oh or recognise when someone's got you know a better idea than you yep. amazing okay another thing in general you mentioned here also that is a great idea weekly surveys that's something I never even thought think of without five questions that's great because then you kind of get create consistency but also you start to remove the oh it's probably because you know it's end of financial year and this or you know yeah everyone's on holidays or in a good mood <laughs> like I understand what you mean I'm a great great tip there um, you want to talk about empathy and radically candid conversations what do you mean by that? Yeah so um yeah so empathy is again uh, fairly well fairly straightforward to explain what it yeah. is but it's very difficult to kind of implement that especially in a remote remote settings um yeah. yeah i think as leaders it's very 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 important to be empathetic uh, um and and try to see different situation understand different cultures i think uh, um i mentioned that the team outside uh, in somewhere in asia right it's um, people are different culturally their upbringing and everything so so you cannot expect a team in let's say i have teams in kuala lumpur uh, 
Asia, Southeast Asia to behave similarly as a team in New Zealand or team in Australia, right? They're culturally different. Same with China, right? They're culturally different. So as managers, we'll have to be empathetic, especially in a remote setting and geographically distributed setting to make... Yes, of course, in a technical level, people should be on the same page. We should lay out the technical roadmap different like same practices architecture that's the i mean that's not easy but that's the easier part but you cannot expect people to be on the same cultural page uh, when people are in different yeah. geographies right and that's the part which i think uh, causes a lot of problem when you manage offshore teams uh, uh, remotely especially remotely so mm-hmm. that's something to be mindful of um, and it differs based on different cultures right so that's one thing which you definitely want to highlight and the second part is radically candid conversation so this is from a book called radical candor uh okay. by kim scott um so it's it's again all based on psychological safety in a psychologically safe environment you can have that radically candid conversations with your uh with your directs um and and what do i mean by that is basically two things like you give a damn about them so you care about them personally but also yeah. challenge them and give them very direct feedback like no feedback sandwich no uh, uh ambiguous stuff so it's very direct feedback Uh, so that they can see the career path their growth and things like that and in that book they uh, i think she talks about two types of uh, people right she called is what rock stars and superstars so uh, and the way she defines it is like rock stars are people who are happy with where they are and want to move horizontally right so they don't want the next promotion or the next thing in next 6 months and stuff like that right because yeah. of their personal circumstances and that's fine right and and next are superstars who who want to move to their next step and and they are in that hockey stick mode of their career craft right um and and she she used to work for google when she wrote this and and i think at that time uh, mid 2000s google used to struggle with these rockstar people who were fine with what they're doing they want to grow within their role Uh, because everybody was expected back then everybody was expected to like the success matrix was to get promoted nothing else yeah. right so it is super competitive and 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 that was her observation on on these two distinct types of professionals and how to have those conversations with uh, with them so yeah it, it's highly recommended book um yeah i i i listened it on audible um uh, and it is yeah it's pretty good So yeah, um, so that's basically two things that definitely helps um, to build that rapport with your team members and increase the engagement uh, overall in, a, in especially in a remote setting. Okay, Ray or um, hi, do you want to add last? I do want to add a few things to that. I definitely agree. Radical candor is a something we practice as well. And as software as a bigger company, which got 10k people around the globe, that's something we brought up to the whole company to say we should do this. Um, care personally, but also challenge you directly. And something I do uh, for my reports as well is that for each catch up I have with them, I ask them for feedback. Um, so yeah. that uh, it, it's a level to say lead by example, right? So rather than say, okay, how can I do better? How I can support you? Uh, how I can partner with you so that we are doing better as a team? So that bring that uh, the environment of safety, but also saying we're a team, we're working on this together is important so that they understand we're in this together. But also um, I understand if they have any concerns or anything, I can do better. I can get uh, much more out of this session as well for myself. Awesome. Really great yeah. stuff there. 
Yeah, no, uh, I really like what uh, the idea of the rock star and the superstar, right? And and that actually, to me, relates to uh, hiring the right people because we're not a service company, we're a product company. So we have support and basically we have different types of roles that you cannot simply put a superstar in and vice versa. So, um, and also we're in a different growth phase as well. So we're in a very fast growth phase. So we're very leaning heavily towards identifying those superstars. But at some point, you know, if you've got an overload of superstars, there's really not enough room basically at the stop at the top for them to advance to so there's actually that transitioning period as well which i'm i'm keeping uh, very um uh, cognizant or uh, at the forefront of my mind basically and uh um knowing who to transition where to transition them to and and finding that next place for them and again that radical um uh, honesty there as you guys put it um it's actually saying to them um where is there's a mix of inspiration and and um uh, and mapping that out right which helps you keep them engaged as well so um uh, helping and one thing i actually identified is a lot of people don't actually know where they want to do or they might not actually see or know that whether they're a rock star or a superstar even right yeah so helping them on that journey in terms of their growth because a lot of these uh the people i hire at least um they're reasonably young so i'm taking in that into account so they could be in their early mid late 20s depending on where their experience lies so uh yeah. just even in that stage of life i i remember when i was in my 20s <laughs> so just little things like that where there are nuances when you're you're speaking to your team it's like hey where's your stage of life did you just get married did you just graduate yeah. Did you uh, been here and, you know, you've got five kids or whatever it is. Um, so uh, that relationship is also different. So and that honesty is also different, right? So, um, yeah, so so how I speak to my team, um, there's a lot of that background where you'd really have to dig in to understand your team, to know on them on a personal level. And whether you connect to them on a personal level is a different issue, but knowing that is actually uh, really helps me to connect to them. Brilliant. I definitely think like what you said there, understanding people's personal situation outside of work um, definitely allows you to create a lot more, a better sense of empathy um, to that person's individual situation. So important. Um, and, you know, again, like even doing that then with district, distributed teams where you not, might not be sitting in the office that, that's even more difficult you know to to get on top of that and create that you know that relationship so that's amazing uh, and then uh, yeah I think another thing you guys said there is about hiring the right people into those roles um it's also pretty pretty difficult to recognize um the different types of rock star versus superstar um it's something that I've actually not heard of before which I'll definitely look into adrenal um but I, yeah it's definitely something that I think that has come up unknown to me a lot of the time when I'm hiring for teams it's like you know you got you got roles where people are like look there's not really a career step here you know this is the level this person will stay at but then it's also about looking okay well what's the horizontal shift what's the other things that the person's going to gain but be happy in that level um really really good point um, a great qualification factor there. So when you're then talking about these distribute teams, um, we've kind of covered the areas of psychological safety. Definitely, we'll probably get more into trust. Um, the whole sort of one-to-ones, empathy, radical candor, that's amazing. Um, it kind of takes us on to the next point then. It's like when you've kind of set that 
um, personal, you know, and um, trust piece with the team. The productivity. How do you really kind of create this productive environment across all these different teams located all over the world? How, how do you do that and get everyone kind of humming together? Um, and that's something um, that we've all brought to the table today. But who wants to talk about that first the productivity piece? I can I can start. Um, Go for it. So <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's it's challenging in a sense. So I'll I'll put it in two buckets again. One is technical, another is cultural. Yeah. Um, uh, with it, it depends how you have built those teams. For example, at Nintex, most of the teams which are in different time zones are from acquisitions. Um, there are teams who, like there are dev centers which were built from scratch for Nintex itself and, and it's it's little slightly easier. But when it comes to acquisitions, um, it's very important to break the silos um, and be part of the same culture. Um, and it's a diff- it's 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 a very difficult thing to do, to be honest. Because when you get acquired, it's still you know them versus us and things like that, um, which which can be yeah which can be very challenging. And and yeah, it's it will long term it will impact company's vision uh, um, because teams will be kind of competing at against each other instead of working on the same goal, right? So um, breaking that breaking the silos will be the first thing. Now, technically, um, th- there might be different, completely different tech stacks and stuff like that, which is, I think, okay. But talking the same architectural language or architectural pattern and stuff like that, like the way we, you know, log things and some unification, right? Uh, some level of unification, some loose boundary. I think that's fairly important from a technical sense. Else, everybody will be trying to re- reinvent their own wheel. So everybody will do their own logging the way they do their own telemetry and you'll not get insight combined insights of the product and stuff like that so some loose boundary and that loose boundary will differ based on the size of your organization based on the products you build based on the importance you give to the data uh, and things like that so that's the loose architectural boundary and that's something and i'm pretty sure if you have enterprise architecture in your teams or principal uh, uh, devs and things like that they'll be they'll be more than happy the passionate people right so they'll be more than happy to build that the second part is around how we build a culture right how we communicate with each other and yeah. that is of course with time zones that's fairly challenging and that's why i brought up that point of asynchronous communication this is something which i learned from uh, uh, gitlab uh, and and they they mm. practice this uh, okay. so it's uh, uh, gitlab i think they're present in i don't know 60 countries or so they're completely remote um, and when we went remote at nintex uh, uh, one of my colleagues showed me that oh, this is pretty cool right we should definitely think about that and at that time we acquired a company from South Africa which is completely opposite side of the globe and I started working with one of the teams there and um, scheduling meetings was fairly challenging uh, so um, I, I, I kind of started implementing a few techniques in asynchronous communication and that worked really well so we worked together for like six months and we didn't have any meetings after the like initial two or three meetings we didn't have any other meetings and they were kind of dependent on us so so um, and it can be applied even if you're in the same geography because once you are remote and you give the flexibility to your employees you you don't need to be online every time from blah hours to blah hours, whatever right so you can yeah. be flexible you can school runs things like that running errands and so so uh, this this mode assumes that you're not always online right yeah and um, and you can reply anytime 
right of course not all communication for example there's a production incident you cannot rely on asynchronous communication you need people on the call right so it it's not something which covers every type of communication but there are most of the communication which we do can be moved to asynchronous and can give that flexibility right um they can reply at their own pace uh, and uh, the, of course improve uh, uh, uh improves the overall work life balance one key thing is there is clear documentation so what what we used to do is um we created like spe- specific feature slack channels and every all the stakeholders so there's no one to one conversation so uh, the product manager the engineering manager the director of engineering the team if there are multiple teams then multiple teams are in that channel and everything discussed being discussed about that particular feature stays in that channel so that's the clear documentation side of things um and um sometimes we used to use templates and the the template which i like is just step by step black like and algorithm right so uh, yeah. and that has worked with uh, when i worked with the teams in south africa is that okay you're dependent on us we have made these changes which might break whatever you're doing step 1 do this step 3 do step 2 do this step 3 if things break then do this step 4 do this and stuff like that and they used to come back with questions and in the thread and then you used to answer those and that used to keep the slack chat like kind of a living wiki and that really helped us to uh, uh, reduce or kind of eliminate the meetings uh, which really helped the work life balance overall right um another thing which is kind of part of asynchronous communication is low context communication which is as i said right being very explicit on what you're trying to say so remove acronyms or remove things like oh yeah this is something you know hi and i have discussed already previously in a separate dm and stuff like that be very explicit on what you're trying to say give step by step very direct instructions so there's no ambiguity if you're if, even if you're talking to a one person in that team right so you can tag that person say that hey hi can you do these things right and this is so that everybody is aware of what's going on and that that we have found that very useful um and that has worked really well across time zones for us that's awesome really really insightful and i know ray you had these two points as well um as as really as things that you've championed quite well so do you want to tell us a bit about how async and documentation came into play and how you implemented that um at software one Yeah sure I definitely can add to that um so I guess like if we go back to kind of the the, the main topic we're talking about right now is about yeah. productive teams uh globally so I guess one point I want I do, do want to add is to give them what they need um so for us it's it's uh, so we do encourage trust accountability we have the team that can uh, make autom- uh, autonomous decisions but also give them what they need for example uh, the product side of things of what we're building and why we're building it but also at the same time on the tech side uh, they have the they what they need in terms of tools tech or uh, things they need to build the things out themselves now obviously as um, Andrew mentioned that there's a kind of overarching or governance in terms of architecture in terms of uh, um uh tracking uh tracing observability across different team that's necessary and we do keep uh different communication i guess i want to bring up is one on a sync communication but also i think uh andrea you mentioned about uh, different ways of communication on different channel using different tools for example slack uh, we do use teams and slack which is a bit interesting uh, but let's not go into that we do uh use utilize those tools to full extent so that uh we use slack uh, more for um 
uh, immediate or short-term communication that uh, may not last longer, but we do have a kind of really good documentation base uh, to, to start with. For example, how we can uh, understand, know each other from different team. We have a page of introductions uh, for each team member. They can put in who you are, what do you do, and what do you do in your spare time. So that will create that environment at the start of doing so. But also I think communication based on, for example, if we have any meeting that is important for the team, we definitely keep the um, um, uh, in documentation or as meeting minutes. And talk about what we discuss, the topics, the agenda, the actions, the decisions, which are usually quite important for us to do. And we do keep a record of our retrospective when we run Scrum or Agile, so on and so forth. We do keep that list of action points uh, with uh, people assigned to it, but also with a due date. So um, we understand on a high level uh, for all the teams that what are things we are working on, what are things we're going to improve, which is quite important. You can't get everything right at first. You definitely need to uh, improve on different fronts, but also learning, which is quite important for globally distributed team. You can't understand each of the system um, by just saying, hey, let's have a chat, but the time zone might not be right. Maybe people can give a presentation that they can just watch that recording. So back to the different channel of communication so that or async communication, if such course you don't need to attend a meeting. You can just join remotely or join afterwards to watch a recording. If you have any questions, use the chat channel or whatever preferred channel that we agreed on to have most effective communication across teams to send that message across, send an email across so that people can under, understand or answer that. So I guess that's kind of the part to say, I think communication is quite important for globally distributed team. And, um, and to give you a concrete example that uh, the team here in Australia, we have have the kind of understanding or much better understanding of how that works and trying to lead the way of doing so, keeping meeting minutes, actions, decisions, but other part of the world to say, they understand that they're, they're a bit of lagging behind in terms of doing so, but they also understand they can do better in that area. So we're constantly improving the way we do that. So different ways of communication, uh, single communication definitely put a bit, uh, a big one into it. Uh, the documentation part, I, I believe that's a kind of a must for a globally distributed team to be successful. Otherwise, without the documentation, it's just hard to uh, keep up with all the things happening. As Andrew mentioned, that they use Slack so that people understand the things that are happening uh, even asynchronously in the channel. Um, yeah, so those are the points I want to add there. Amazing. So much detail to it really, isn't there? Um, hi, do you want to add anything there or any questions Just at all? A couple of, couple of things. Um, yeah. Uh, one one thing is um, uh, after COVID and people coming back physically uh, back to the office, I was listening to one of uh, Elon Musk's uh, podcasts or interviews the other day. It was very interesting where he's like, no, you've got to come back to the office. <laughs> um, I'm like, not 100%. I, I get it. I understand it. And I think it is important, actually. So in our offices, in, in different locations, uh, we tend to, hey, you guys, as much as you can, please come into the office, right? Or or um, there's some days that you have to at least be in the office. Uh, that's, that's obviously, uh, to me, that's actually uh, very important. And we've seen uh, dramatic differences when people are completely 
distributed as to as opposed to being in distributed themes, right? So the themes are together, they're just distributed as opposed to everyone is is just uh, just completely distributed. So uh, having that is um, is important uh, to increasing productivity. Um, the second part of that is uh, actually related to physical presence is that um, uh, I actually travel quite well to me pretty reasonably regularly so uh, yeah, every <laughs> every I think one and a half to two months max uh, I'm, I'm making a trip and, and that's actually quite difficult uh, because uh, I've got a bit of a young family <laughs> so yeah. that is actually difficult but um, when you're making process changes or when you're trying to integrate the team or you're just trying to even get your existing team to buy in to what you're trying to do, uh, whether yeah. it's processes, culture, whatever it is, you know, and getting them to to integrate. You can do it remotely, but it just takes ages to do, right? So uh, to, to get that productivity or that buy-in quickly, you need that physical presence. Uh, I, I feel like it, it makes a big difference. Um, okay. And the, the, the present doesn't necessarily need to be uh, long uh, so we're not talking about weeks but uh, but at least has to be on at least a regular basis uh, whether that's me or maybe uh, someone else or that I uh, my colleague or something like that but having that regular physical presence to reinforce not just your processes or your culture or habits or whatever organizational habits I'm talking about when you do that, it actually it builds a number of things that we've been talking about. Firstly, the change process, um, that's key. Uh, but then secondly, uh, again, that empathy that we build, the, the honesty, like you, uh, I think there's no substitute for it. Uh, and it's, yeah. uh, I, I feel like it's impossible to substitute. So um, yeah, anyway, so I've, I've been doing that a lot and I've been very conscious of, of doing that. Um, yeah. And I, I found that it's made a big difference in uh, in changing how we work and seeing the overall productivity as well. So people are responding, right? Because uh, one of the things that's really hard with online is um, seeing that instant response. Like, okay, do you get it or do you not get it? Because sometimes you think they do, but they, they kind of don't because of that just disconnect, you know? And um, yeah, and. When you're um, even in the standups, uh, what I'm noticing uh, is um, when I see when I'm talking, I, I see whether that spark is in their eyes. And then what you then do is like you can actually identify the right leaders to actually implement your changes. So just those okay. little nuances um, um, that, that you just simply can't get. So uh, yeah, just really just adding and, and I love what both Ray and in internal has said as well it's amazing so having yeah i know what you mean the distributed um off-site sort of offshore ways of communication with that little sprinkle of presence is definitely something that you're finding is is um really kind of bringing a spark to your team and you're gaining that motivation it's a really insightful piece actually um and a lot of commitment from you by the way so i'm sure your team probably really appreciates that and you've gained a lot of trust from it um but it is i think it's important as well um as much as you can you know be um presence you know i know a lot of the time it is hard to travel to all the different teams i'm sure that's not really something you can do but like you said there maybe after a while you won't be the one that is 
you know, the, the leader and uh, given the presence, but your team, say wherever it might be in Vietnam, that you have an office there and that there's a leader there and they and they catch up maybe once a week and it brings that spark and that energy back. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, it's really insightful. Any thoughts on that adrenal, Murray? Yeah, I think um, I think it's important to have that physical presence, especially when you're leading teams uh, across geography. Absolutely agree on that. One thing which I'd like to circle back is on again meetings. I think um, the way I explained async communication and stuff like that, um, it may feel like that you don't actually need meetings, but as leaders or managers we understand that we need meetings one thing which we have worked on uh, which has helped us which is not technically async communication or is is kind of a hybrid model for meetings right so uh, having the agenda and there are tools for that but even if you don't have any specific tools you can use slack you can use a shared document whatever works for you is to have set agenda or talking points for for a meeting beforehand so that people can look at it they can comment on it they can discuss offline if they want to before the meetings and that has for us reduced the meeting times considerably so we used to have cross team or product management plus director of engineering plus manager meetings and stuff like that which used to take i don't know 45 minutes to an hour but when we went to this mode of course it took a few weeks and after that it was like a 15 minute stand up because everybody was commenting saying that oh this is what i've done this is already discussed and they should tick mark that brilliant right and if there were any actions then they used to assign those actions and tag those people and stuff like that so that has actually worked pretty well for us um, so yeah, you will have meetings. There's no, there's no other way about that, right? If you're leaders, especially if you're leaders, you can of course reduce the noise to the individual teams, but you will need to have need to be in the meetings. Yeah, I think that setting specific agenda, talking points, and action items, and reviewing those, I think that helps helped us optimize the meetings uh, considerably. The other thing which I wanted to uh, highlight is, uh, especially in a remote setting, and, and I think uh, Ray uh, alluded, Ray and I both alluded to the fact of hiring the right people. Uh, it's very important to hire the right people, especially people uh, who, who seek help when they're stuck, because you will find a lot of, especially ICs, who just won't seek help when they're stuck. It's very, very difficult. It's, it's impossible to identify if someone is stuck. In a remote setting, let me put it that way, yeah. right? Because in in an in-person setting, you can see that somebody is struggling. You cannot do that, and it's very important for us leaders to identify that in an interview stage. For example, if you there are different ways to ask this, but if you ask that, oh, tell me something, tell me a failure you faced, or tell me a challenging times you faced, how we dealt with that. If you get the answer that, oh, I got stuck with this on a Thursday and I was really frustrated, but I spent the whole weekend on my own and fixed it on Monday and stuff like that. Well, did you actually ask for help to reach out yeah. to someone? That will be a red flag for me, especially in a remote setting, because I have worked with quite a few people, uh, uh, especially during the start of COVID when we were abruptly went remote uh, is they just used to get stuck right and and a couple of days and that reduces the productivity for the whole team to be honest not just that person but the whole team so it's very important that we hire those people who are who are not afraid seeking help it's super super important in a remote setting so that's really insightful so important isn't it that um, people are able to put their hand up and say when they're stuck and um, not be afraid to ask for help because it's solving problems at the end of the day um, and it is it's, it's a team effort and it's actually a, a thing that I'm always trying to um, recognise when I'm interviewing people for different roles 
yeah, it's this ability to put your hand up and not be afraid, um, you know, to put your hand up when you're stuck and kind of be someone that recognizes that more as an opportunity as opposed to, oh, I'm going to get, you know, in trouble for this or this won't reflect well on me. Um, yeah, it, it, it's hard, isn't it? Because it also in interviews, people probably are, are wondering if that's the right thing to do or not, um, you know, so um, it's it's a hard one to kind of pin down. Um, this Can I just quickly? On, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Uh, just some really interesting point there. Uh, yeah. I just want to add on to what Indranil was saying. Um, so that again comes from what Indranil said before about feeling safe, because if you're safe, you ask questions, right? Or you're allowed to fail, you, then you actually go out. And so that, that's actually a really, really great point. Um, again, uh, what Indranil was saying is uh, with not just hiring, but uh, hiring the right type of personality. And uh, I guess it's more half question have something i've been thinking about uh is uh you know uh and i hope i'm not derailing the conversation too far but uh with ai coming in and with the rapid very very quick changes to uh to to what's happening in ai right now i mean yeah. i remember that when google came it changed my life right because i can search for anything in google now it's ai <laughs> so i guess my my, not so much question, but um, uh, something I'm forward thinking about is how do I hire really productive productive people with AI in mind now, right? So uh, uh, um, the sense I'm getting is uh, one of the conversations that's sitting, uh, floating around at the moment is um, uh, prompt engineers, basically, I think is the Dixonism yeah. name. And, yeah. and it's like, okay, how do I get my developers to be really great prompt engineers? Uh, so, so, and it, it's a bit different. I mean, I, I still pride myself in being re- a really, really good Googler. If anything, I went straight up to my team and say, hey team, you know what I'm good at? I'm not a great engineer. I'm a great Googler. That's what I really am. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, but this, I, I think it's again, approaching, um, uh, where we're approaching like this, this cusp, right? I, I just feel it. How do I get my team prepared or even hire the right people to lead my team into this very different phase of uh, of, of, of tech, the, the tech space, really? Um, yeah, so I was, uh, it's more, like I said, half question, half thinking about uh, yeah. if anyone has any ideas, that would be great too. So I guess like asking the right question, as Andrea mentioned, like what what's kind of your behavior, kind of a behavior question when you're interviewing people is a good starting point. But instead of saying that I have all the positive examples, I do have a kind of the other side of example that uh, I did have a candidate uh, we um, we decided to recruit in to the team, but uh, he, who he worked uh, uh, remotely for the last six or seven years and who can answer the question right in terms of how to work remotely. Uh, but still, you. Uh, but when he got into the team, uh, after a few months, we don't think that he's a good fit. Uh, we start using some performance um, monitor tool or understand uh, his interaction with each team, team member, which is sometimes very hard when working remotely or distributed in different time zones in particular, uh, that we still can see that uh, you know, hiring the right people uh, is quite important. If you don't hire right, it's more 
damaging to the team to say you、yeah. need to understand how they perform using different approaches. If they don't perform, you need to act as well. So I guess that's kind of saying, yep, hiring right people is very crucial to to build a team that can be high performance. And、um, yeah, so、uh, I guess that's、um, just to resonate with some of the points.、Um, Andrew mentioned there, so we do have example that people can. We we have a production high priority bug we need to fix, and、uh, we got a, a within the team we got people in Europe, we got team in Australia, who、uh, both have the knowledge in the domain of fixing the bug. We actually had a really successful fix by doing it in a relay fashion that someone did. The first part, but also someone be able wake up and pick up and be able to fix bug and deploy to production. Which is again going back to to the original point to say hiring the right people is very important. But also making sure that they get what they need, they have the knowledge of the product on the product side on the tech side, so they can do their best.、Um, yeah, that's something I want to add there.、Uh, I think on Hai、um, mentioning about AI and generative AI and prompt engineers. Um, I think the fundamental quality which I will look for as a hiring manager is how people deal with change in general, because this is、yeah. a change, right? So,、um, and and you'll find different personalities when you hire. It's very important that you hire someone who,、uh, of course, build the culture within your existing team, but also hire someone who can effectively deal with changes. Again, not embracing everything latest and greatest, and trying every、yeah. new thing, but having that boundary of little bit of skepticism and seeing through the lens: will it fit for what we are trying to solve? Because often, when these new and shiny things come, the、uh, uh, people often,、uh, you know, forget the goal. On what we are trying to achieve, so having that goal in mind, trying few different things, and how people deal with change, and that's very important when you hire managers, and also senior ICs like principal engineers or architects, right? And how they deal with changes, right? Whether they dismiss everything, or whether they just embrace everything without understanding the goals, it should be the right balance is somewhere in between. And AI kind of is no different, right? So it's it's somewhere in between uh, 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 where we need to use that, but it's kind of not you know taking away all the jobs straight away and things like that, right? So so、um, it, it's it's to me I look for people who can deal with change effectively.、Uh, is is will be my、uh, thought process. This is really insightful, and that、um, prompt engineering is. Yeah, something com- keeps coming up in every topic、um, that that we seem to have at the moment. But、um, it's really interesting point and very important to bring up.、Um, and now the this sort of takes us on to more into nitty gritty of、um, recognizing you know performance in the teams and、um, being able to clearly communicate.、Um, essentially, when done is done, I suppose. And I know this is something high. You were talking about something that you've、um, had a challenge with, and you've seemed to have overcome it as well.、Um, and it's even into the, you know, that dreaded word of KPIs.、Um, but how do you sort of set expectations around, you know, like yeah, KPIs, OKRs, or KARs within these just distributed teams that have different, maybe,、uh, you know, I suppose takes on what is done and what's not done, and what's something completed, you know, and how do you create that?、Um, Expectation across the boards,、um, but yeah. Do you want to talk about、yeah. your experience there? Yeah, sure.、Hi. So,、um, 
Uh, I think what I uh, really want to get into there is that um, is more culturally than anything else, right? And, yeah. and we've mentioned culture a little bit before, and uh, and like I said, every country and every place uh, uh, when you're communicating, it's like, hey, how are you doing with this? Um, is this feature uh, like? Even even saying, hey, how complete is something? Because in for in our environment, at least, um, our time frames are very compressed, right? Like we, mm. we don't really have much in terms of luxury, in terms of time, let's say. Uh, and, and so yeah. that's why it's it's a bit more of a uh, immediate and and pressing problem for me. And you know, building the culture of when, uh, let's say. Uh, when, when I mean stay done, right? Because we have different environments, we have uh, different stages, we have different customers with uh, that is actually in uh, different environments because we have on-premise as well as cloud deployments uh, um, right across the globe as well. So uh, understanding keywords uh, and, and that has to be communicated both in meetings and stand-ups in reinforcements uh, of these ideas as well uh, and actually drill down so for example in, in a meeting i'll have hey, hey, um frank let's say uh so, hey frank have you done this he goes yes and then i would actually have to drill down and go you've done it tell me exactly what you've done and then they'll list the steps so i guess it's it's the training and getting the team uh, on each individual level on what do you mean when you say that, right? Because uh, when I'm interacting with someone in India, they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, that's done. And then they'll list and then I'll go through maybe uh, five of my seven on my list of what I mean is done. And then I'll interact with someone in Vietnam and, and they'll say, oh, it's also done, but maybe they'll go through four items instead. So just little things like that, uh, you, um, that I, uh, actually learned <laughs> that it's not uh, so obvious that um, these different boundaries and, and what and and different levels as well so um, let's say a, a more junior dev or an, a principal engineer or uh, for our teams a, a squad lead or a department lead or whatever it is um, they all mean different things when they mean done but we have to have that um, uh, consistent uh, meaning right across all levels uh, uh, of of uh, team members, uh, so then when we're saying something, it just cuts down the communication um, uh, verbosity, uh, but also the efficiency in communication, right? Especially with asynchronous communication. Hey, I've done this. Please do not say you've done this. Actually, say what you've done. Like these type of things and again uh, like I said communicating that culturally and get acceptance and buy-in culturally um, you, you have to put in well I have to had to put in that hard yards to, to make uh, to make that happen um, the other point is uh, KPIs um, so you know one of the things uh, I guess personally uh, I've struggled with is uh, with KPIs, they tend to be a little bit too distant, right? It, it feels too cold. It's like, hey, you've got these specific specific numbers. On the other yeah. hand, you have uh, um, KRAs, uh, key responsibility areas, and 
I, I'm working on it at the moment. Uh, I would say I have the answer for that, but uh, it's too nebulous. It's too general, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And with a distributed team, if you have something too general, you tend not to get productivity. If it's too too hard and fast, you uh, it's too um, then people will start becoming too auto uh, too um, mechanical, right? So when I say mechanical, mm-hmm. I mean I'll do my ABC list, and that's it. That's my job. Nothing and, else. Yeah. I, I yeah. They, they won't take responsibility for certain things. So just merging um, between the two. Um, so uh, we have Jira. We have um, uh, and a couple other productivity tools as well. But Jira is probably our, our most uh, powerful, and being able to uh, bring out reports to um, uh, to firstly get the numbers sit down and discuss these numbers and being rather um, uh, disciplined like let's say uh, and saying look these are your numbers either you explain to me and give me a good reason why you are having great numbers or really bad numbers uh, or otherwise I'm not accepting your your answers or, or something like those things too so just marrying both uh, KPIs and KRAs together to get that right balance is a little bit tricky for me right now. Let's put it that way. Yeah, interesting point there. That's excellent um, insight. So, Adrenaline Array, what what is your ideas and your experience around this? Hi, um, hi. I actually got um, some questions. Maybe it can be can be a good discussion as well. When you mentioned culturally talking about what's actually done into the details, but also you mentioned goals, for example, KPI, OKRs, OKRs, things like that. Um, do you guys actually break it down to say, for example, you got managers who take care of that area, but each individual team member have their own goals set up? but also break it down. Would that be saying a way to say that's best way of doing the goal setting, but also at the same time be able to say, hey, I'm taking a slice of the overall goal of the department now, if I can talk about, if, if you ask me what's done in the period of time, it doesn't matter if it's a quarter or half year or something like that, would people be able to tell that a, one, uh, someone was able to achieve the goals or not? But two, that are, are they able to basically explain what's done there uh, in a bit more detailed fashion because they break the bigger goal into smaller slices or chunks. Uh, can you clarify that question a little bit more for me? Mm-hmm. Um, just want to understand if that's uh, the way you guys do it in terms of breaking down a bigger goal into separate goals into different department and or different product or different features and you break down to each different members or team members so that uh, each individual can stand when they when when we talk about uh, end of the quarter when we look at the goals and if you achieve that they can talk into the details of what's actually being done instead of just activities they have done but actually talking about what's done done yeah yeah so uh a couple of things on that so uh, obviously for my di- direct reports uh it's more um it's both uh numerical team goals uh, or uh, we call them labs in our teams uh, in our environment uh so basically uh, both their team goals and how that team goals contribute to the organization or or our product overall because at the end of the day everything is is the product is everything for us um and then uh, coaching the team to uh, set 
and do the same things for their individual uh, within their team. So whether that's their team lead, principal engineers, or uh, or just developers or, or graduates or, or whatever it is. So um, there are different uh, levels and I, I think the higher abstraction you go up, the harder it is to put numbers to it, right? Uh, because at a team, it's like, okay, so how, so one of my metrics say is how many leaders or identified leaders have you identified in the last quarter or how have you brought them up? Uh, how is that concrete? So again, that's how I look at it in terms of my direct reports, but of course my direct reports will then look at the individual capability of the uh, the team members themselves. How have you, um, how has this particular developer skill improved over the last quarter, let's say? right uh maybe it's certifications maybe it's learning maybe it's taking on more responsibility maybe it's taking even and the very very hard quantifiable thing is initiative how has you have you fostered a uh, uh an environment where your developers or your your direct reports have uh, uh has taken on more initiative Right, because again, in a very distributed team, if they don't take initiative, like Indrano said, if they're not asking questions, well, how do you quantify that, right? Uh, and again, like I said, I, I I don't quite have the answer for that because all the other stuff is very easy uh, in terms of pull requests or lines of code or whatever. Like all of that to me is like that's not going to tell me anything really. Like personally, for me, it's not telling me much. Uh, or how many tickets you completed. Well, what if it's an easy ticket? What if it's a really complicated ticket? How can you tell by just the numbers? You can't, right? Um, so again, uh, I like to ask questions more than I have answers, uh, I'm afraid. But um, these are the things I'm trying to find insight into my team. By uh, And a lot of it is, is conversations. Um, they're not easy, necessarily easily hard numbers to say, but um, to me, uh, uh, for my direct reports, uh, at the very least, I look, I try to look at how, at what point, or how many people have you actually brought through the ranks that you've elevated, that you've lifted through the team. So then, um, uh, uh, are you keep creating key man dependencies upon yourself or not? Uh, what are the key, how have you resolved key dependencies? Because uh, uh, with a product, uh, there are specialist knowledge, right? What if they leave? What, what are you going to do about that? And if, uh, if I identify a problem, if they identify a problem, how long did it take for you to resolve that particular problem? Or is it persistent? Uh, because then you start seeing, okay, your team isn't really, you know, because um, uh, I've worked in, a little bit in service before and, and in service, it's, I guess it's a little bit different because you can swap team members in and out. It's a shorter term project sometimes, um, depending on your environment, but, but for our product, sometimes it's very complex with very, uh, uh, requires very specialist knowledge and dealing with that effectively is, uh, is constantly a challenge for us. And, uh, we know we're not a thousand. To be honest, we're not a thousand-person organization. Uh, we're only in the hundreds, so uh, it's 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 a different uh, type of challenge for us. Brilliant! Thanks for sharing insights. I definitely get something out of it, and I think there's something I can experiment with my team as well. Thanks for that. Amazing, good stuff, guys. Um, 
And like that that's really actually insightful as well from my end, mixing kind of responsibilities with KPIs. I think it's a really good point um there as well. And definitely a synchronous communication. Um Adrenaline, back to a point that you made earlier on just about um, your hybrid meetings. Um, that's a great idea. You know, it kind of clears up any um, uncertainties or any, you know, questions about the meeting before the meeting starts. And then, yeah, you can have a really quick, productive, like, it's more of like a, a concrete, everyone saying, yeah, this is what we all agree on. This is what we're going to do. This is the outcome, as opposed to talking about it all in there and going away and doing it. It's really, really interesting. Really, really good. Um the last point we want to talk about today, and hi, you brought this, um, it's a really interesting one, um, servant leadership um, and how to kind of evaluate your team um, and kind of to be the foundation so that the team can kind of launch and push off of you. I think you're all three brilliant leaders, so I'd love to hear your experience of that type of leadership being a servant leader. Um, but yeah, tell us a bit about um, your experience there. Whoever wants to go first, hi, maybe yourself, because... You, you brought that. Maybe I just introduced yeah. that since. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's not something, it's something I heard really. And uh, the, yeah. the, one of the quotes that is uh, most impactful to me in my life is uh, I can't remember who said it, uh, but we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that's been very impactful to me because, uh, um, you know, everything we've done is, is built on someone else's success, really. And I guess. Uh, just instead of looking at it in the past, I'm, I'm really trying to look at it in the present. Uh, so, uh, because I, I am the leader in, in my department, um, how do I become those shoulders is really my question that, that I kind of ask myself every day because um, you are not actually, uh, I am not building the product, the theme is, right? Yeah. I'm leading the team. So the question I, I, you know, and we've touched on a little bit as well, you know, making sure the team gets what they need in terms of technologies and tools. Um, the other part is uh, how do I train my team to be great leaders, uh, identifying who uh, can be that great leader. And the idea of servant leadership is always uh, when I go into uh, a meeting and it's more, I guess, attitude than it is um uh rather technique it's uh the first is hey guys uh, i start the meeting hey guys how can i help you w what is it that i can help you with today to achieve your goals and what you want right uh and then building uh to me building processes and foundations uh that work and being able to change and be agile and and do that uh um uh, i guess uh quickly and effectively. How do I build the right foundation, the right environments, and um, uh, and, and the right uh, uh, mentality? And, and I, again, I just love the psychological safety thing is uh, how, how to balance uh, um, a mentality where it's safe to fail, but at the same time holding someone accountable if something isn't stay broken right or, or something that doesn't work how, how do you do that to to foster both a balance of creativity uh but at the same time uh a sense of order and and responsibility within the team um okay yeah but no, the, the most important thing is um how can i help you how can i serve you to elevate yeah. you in the team to bring you up so what 
um, I'll start here with this last point, uh, is uh, I always go into a job thinking I am not, I want to find my immediate replacement as soon as I can. That's how I go into my job generally. Uh, one, because I never want to be that key man dependency. That's that's the most important thing. Uh, the second uh, important thing is um, finding your replacement is not just uh, um, uh, what do you call it? succession management, which again is is very important once uh, you know you, you get into that role. Um, succession management, but also inspiring others to say, hey, I'm not your blocker, right? Uh, if you've got some guy like a, a superstar, if they look at you as a blocker, right, then how how are they, how in their mentality, how would that affect their work, how creativity yeah. or motivation? They got they have to not see you as a blocker, but rather the enabler and actually allow people to go past you even. Um, so, uh, I think that's sort of more, like I said, it's more attitude than technique, uh, I'm afraid. Yeah, that's brilliant. Absolutely great um, points there. I have to say hi. Adrenaline Array, what's your kind of experience with servant leadership? And yeah, I suppose recognizing um, there's times where you kind of make yourself redundant to allow that productivity and creativity to continue how do you go with that i can i can share some insights so um, yeah i've started doing servant leadership for a while now without knowing that i was doing servant leadership and this right. is basically uh, um, i have had my fair share of you know good bosses and bad bosses <laughs> and one thing which kind of differentiated them was um, good managers used to listen right used to listen used to empathize mm. And most importantly, I didn't need to change or tailor myself based on, you know, the working style of a certain manager. And that stuck, that got stuck with me. So when, when, when I was an IC, I said, okay, if I become a manager, I would become one of those managers where my reports won't have to tailor themselves for, for my working style, right? Uh, and then I realized, oh, that's actually called servant leadership. Uh, so then I started reading a bit more about servant leadership and, and emergent leadership and how I can empower teams. Uh, and one thing which, um, not to generalize, but as a software engineers, we don't do that very well, especially managers who are from a software development background, is delegation. Uh, uh, and that's super, super important. Uh, and it's And it's also very important to be clear about the delegation thing is, look, this is actually I'm delegating stuff to you, which is outside of your area of responsibility. And you'll have to yeah. find people who are happy to pick that up. Some people may not be happy and that's absolutely fine. Right. Is but that some, more difficult to do in a in a distributed team as well? Like of different personalities and yeah, say that is. Yeah. yeah. So so uh, I think I mentioned that point of uh, knowing someone at a personal level. I think that's super important. Uh, yep. uh, you can't just, you know, randomly delegate tasks, uh, do a round robin and delegate tasks within <laughs> within your team. Uh, so you'll have to identify a the right mm. candidate. I I think mentioned about replacement or succession and stuff like that. So uh, and and you may not find one person, right? Just one single person. So it might be different right. traits in different people, mm -hmm. and you'll have to play with that and see who can step up. 
and mm-hmm. and give those people things which they would like it's not that ah oh, i've got so much work and on top of that this guy is giving me more work and things like yeah. that so they are they're happy to be challenged and they're okay with that so so once you do that once you empower your team members to pick up more and delegate more you will get the time you will get more time as a leader to think about the career think about their uh, growth and think about more strategic things right so one thing which is i think very simple time management thing right so urgent urgent important important sorry urgent but uh, not urgent and important there are four <laughs> quadrants right not important and not urgent and then urgent but not important right so yeah. there's four quadrants of time management um and and of course if there's something which is really urgent and really important do it yourself um but then the most time as a leader we should be spending on things which may not be urgent but are really important so strategic things whereas if there are things which are urgent but not that important or urgent and important you can sometimes delegate those again it's it's right. not you can cannot generalize that because sometimes urgent and important might be a production issue and you might have to jump in right yeah so so think about delegating those things and keep the strategic prioritize as a leader prioritize the strategic things for you yourself so that you can actually work on those strategic things and then create that vision and work on most importantly work on that vision for next you know medium to longer term and that's really really important so yeah i totally agree on Brilliant. the servant leadership side of things another thing which i've learned after uh, uh, managing managers is that uh, creating that concept of first team and probably not would not have heard about this so it's okay. um, it's it's a book and it has it's been mentioned in quite a few books by patrick lencioni uh, it's that concept of the first team uh, what happens when you lead managers um, is that they think they always assume it's very natural to assume that you're part of the team you're leading right so uh, the bunch of ics you're leading the engineering team you're leading once that happens at every level i'm talking about right it can be very dangerous to an organization because then you will basically lobby for your team yeah lobby only the interest for your team and the example which well patrick gave is uh, you'll become united nations there's nothing united about united nations right so, um, yeah. so basically lobby for your constituents or your country and stuff like that right you'll not work as a team so so building that first team where the managers work as a team rather than working for their the teams they are leading brilliant that's a very difficult thing to do but it's the for me managing managers it's the most important thing to do is build that team of managers so that they can work with each other which will eventually benefit the team the only way or one of the ways you can do that is to make sure you delegate things to the team so that you get time to build that team of managers so because if you don't do that you won't be able to, you won't have cap- capacity to step up right because yeah. you'll still be in the weeds still be doing things which your teams actually should be doing rather than you know um giving them the autonomy giving delegating things to them so that you can work as a team and once that once that management team works as a team that's i'm talking about at every level even at c suite uh, you'll see the difference right so because they'll be thinking collectively on what's good rather than just lobbying for their immediate team or teams right stuff amazing that's actually really good points um the united nations piece <laughs> um yeah i know you mean kind of like if you just become part of the team then it's you and the team and the rest of the world's against you whereas if you're within that more senior management team as well you're kind of pulling 
their business back into your team and kind of creating getting rid of that blurred line absolutely it's really really good okay Ray anything you'd like to add to that yeah, I definitely agree with what's being said there. Um, one thing I want to add and that can resonate with is kind of empowering, uh, empowering others and then developing yeah. others. Instead of you do everything or you can, you can't do everything, essentially, right? So, and, um, so the things I started doing more nowadays is to have a more coaching style. So active listening and empathy is important so you understand what, but instead mm-hmm. of asking a lot, a lot around whys. I basically ask the questions about how is to say, for example, managers or a team lead or things like that. And how would you solve that particular problem we're looking at? Uh, I ask a few how, then I provide a few things I can think of in terms of idea rather than I just jump in there, say, or as a helicopter, jump in, jump out, that wouldn't help uh, the team at all uh, in a sense of doing that. But also, I guess another point I want to put out there is putting others first. That kind of goes back to a certain leadership so that we can prioritize or uh, unblock uh, others or teams for them to be able to do their best. Um, so I'll just keep it short, but these are uh, two of the points I want to add there. Amazing. I can't just that we're all running out of time, but just one more piece on this um, really important topic of creating the high performance within globally distributed teams is the social aspect. Um, and adrenaline, this is something I think is really important. I think when you're building empathy, recognizing those different personalities and different leaders is, you know, socializing. Uh, how do you guys create that social aspect um, with distributed teams? Maybe tell us a bit about that, adrenaline. Yeah, this this is hard. Uh, yeah. I, I haven't cracked <laughs> it to be honest uh, because in an in-person environment all you need to do is organize a team lunch that yeah. is pretty much it right <laughs> and it just organically people start talking and then you get that vibe right you cannot yeah. do that uh, online right so it's I found it incredibly difficult to socially engage uh, mm. geographically distributed teams in any sort of social activities online. So uh, we have tried a few board games, we have tried different tools, we have tried trivias and things like that, that worked for some time, but then that's kind of faded off, right? So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm open to suggestions and, and keen to learn experiences from Hai and Ray on what they are doing to make sure that, so- that social engagement is super important. Uh, on how they're effectively doing that within their teams uh, in, a, in a remote environment. So that's more of a question for me. Good point. That's a really, really interesting piece, actually. Any ideas? <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely a challenging part of the things. So we'll definitely try out the similar stuff to do something online, yeah. have escape virtual experience online and so on and so forth. Or maybe have the beer time or coffee time together because the time yeah. differences. Um, I guess one thing, um, uh, again, th- this is more original approach. Um, I'm still yet to figure out if that's possible to travel across the globe for the two teams to meet together or stuff like that. Mm. But I guess it is still something that I think is valuable to say, or there's something interesting or something new, a strategic item, we should do a workshop together so that, uh, you know, we understand as a team, as a team, we can do it in person um, to, to work on something together so that it would be helpful for a team to, you know, be able to gather or maybe an offsite can work out in terms of team building activities, things like that. Even once a year would be uh, helpful then. No, we, we just do everything remotely. So it, the physical 
presence, if we bring back to that, is also an important factor for um, high performing team, uh, in my opinion. Amazing. Okay. Any ideas, Hi? Um, two levels to it, I think, uh, because <laughs> you have the local team and then you have the yeah. global team. So there. Uh, so for me, I I think uh, on the local level, and I think I've touched on it a little bit before, is uh, within the teams themselves or within the locality themselves, you obviously need some HR's help. But uh, the most important is the the presiding manager within that locality uh, to create. Uh, that social interaction, because the, honestly, uh, in terms of uh, team or interpersonal relationship, um, you, you can't socialize across, you know, a hundred, two hundred people, right? Like, uh, yeah, uh, you really, generally, you you need that physical interaction uh, within your team most of the time, most of the time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that's why return to office, I think, is is, is very important. Uh, just within that yeah. locality, uh, that helps a lot. Uh, the second is, of course, on a global, uh, more um, higher level, and that is with between uh, a lot more between me and my direct reports. Uh, and I think building that relationship is very strong. So again, I, I still think of it as. Uh, there is a limit or maximum level uh, number of people that you can interact with. So uh, keeping that strong with your direct reports does actually, I believe, uh, um, require the physical face-to-face interaction. I I just don't see a a real substitute for it. In the short term, you can, but there is nothing like physically shaking someone's hand, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's just simply no substitute. Uh, and so I think um, there is a, uh, and we used to, I don't know if this is happening right across companies, but, you know, we did have, used to have company get togethers uh, once a year or whatever it is. But I feel like generally that's fallen off a little bit. Uh, and yeah. so we used to do that for a reason. You know, uh, yeah. and and that again needs to uh, come back, I believe. Um, if not, even for the local team, which is important to have everyone meet in a globally uh, in a globally uh, distributed team. Uh, but more importantly, at least for your direct reports, uh, having that together mm-hmm. and having that as offsite is different because uh, we did have a few offsite, even though it was more of a purely work offsite, but. There's no substitute for, you know, when you finish the end of the day, you go, you have a drink and you're just mad. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's just no substitute. You, you can't do that through a Zoom with a trivia game. It doesn't work. No. Uh, and I do, and I think... we're honest about that, that's... Yeah. That's I it, think we just have it? to be honest about that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good point. What we're not getting away from is that um, being in person um, with people um, is key. Um, and I think as well that what you guys have made a point of there is you tried your trivia, tried your games online, but at the end of the day, you're still kind of in this work environment because you're still sitting in front of your PC. There's no getting away from actual being in person. And it's probably a good point for companies to make. Let's bring back, you know, those monthly beers in the office or lunches or those um, global gatherings once a year, which I know many tech companies um, used to do, maybe ha- has fallen off. Um, us as a business at Evolution, we do it every year. Um, and it's great. And um, we even sometimes, I think what I think teams maybe could do is 
even you know fly you know one or two teams to a certain location to you know the Sydney office for a week of work and uh, one or two nights out you know and then swap it to be somewhere else the next year and that like one week of seeing how other people work and meeting people in the flesh can probably bring back that spark and that passion that you're looking for and actually this is why I work here again this is why I love working here and you know I understand what that person means by this and the things that you learn in that one week is pretty incredible I know it sounds like a lot but um it could be worth a lot in the long run I'm just conscious of the yeah, time, guys. So, oh yeah, <laughs> I can apologize. I I, yeah, I don't want to go anymore. But one thing yeah. that we uh, should take into account is Australia is a beautiful country. People want <laughs> to visit Australia. I'm yeah. just saying, you know, which from I mean, it did get voted the best city in the world. Yeah, I go to Vietnam and India, and I want to go back to Australia. Yeah. So I, I know that the teams would love to do that, and it's a huge motivation yeah. factor, uh, if not only for a, uh, a, a almost like a reward, almost like a carrot, yeah. right? Like I, I think definitely, um, it, it's very powerful. I, I think. Yeah, I agree. Ways. Awesome. Sorry, I'll stop there. I know we're really fine. <laughs> Not at all. Um, does anyone want to add anything else? Or I know it's like we're all busy. We're going 20 minutes over time, but obviously been a great chat. Are we all good? Well, guys, I just want to say thank you so much for everyone's contribution today and really appreciate um, coming on and sharing your ideas and pretty good topic. You know, creating high performance within globally distributed teams is something that a lot of companies challenge across the world. So I um, really appreciate this um, and I'm looking forward to speaking on the next Evolution Chains podcast. Thank you. Thank you.